he had what was called, you heard it called many things, but the, the coat of many colors. It was a robe that was given to uh, Joseph by his father. And, uh, you know, when you got 11 other brothers and the, the youngest one in the family receives something that is a special gift to him that kind of sets him apart from everybody else. You have some jealousy and some envy and be honest with you, some hatred that's involved in that family because they're like, well, wait a minute. Why does he get this special robe and we don't get anything else? in light of I'm the oldest or I'm the next to the oldest and, you know, he's a baby. But you got to understand what happened with Jacob and his wives and how Joseph was, was, was his son and how that relationship developed. And uh, so out of that, there you have Joseph. He has this robe and probably to a degree he might have rubbed it in the faces of his older brothers. You know, you know how we get sometimes when we have special favor. You know, it's like, hmm, you know, I'm, and then when he had this dream about the sheaves and rising up and, the, and his sheaf was over them and they were like, so are you telling us we're going to have to bow down to you and obey you? Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. This is, not, this is not a good thing. So what happened in the transpiring of that, and if you read in, in chapter 39, 37, on, on through different parts of the scripture there, what you find out is, and I'm just going to read what I have here is a synopsis. Chapter 37, 1 through 36. It says, here we have human sin and divine grace. We see jealousy in verse 11. And its effect, where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every evil practice. James 3.16. We see God working out his purpose. Because what happens is, Joseph later on in chapters 41 and 42 says, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In chapter 50, verse 20. In his dreams, Joseph was given a glimpse of a new thing, God was about to, what God was about to do. Joseph's situation seemed hopeless, cast into a pit, sold into slavery. God was in this situation. His brothers, his father told him to go out to his brothers. He goes out, and they seize that opportunity when Joseph comes out there to throw him into a pit. And they really intended to kill him. But, but Reuben said, well, wait a minute, we can't do that. So God in his providence, to show how God is so gracious and so good. The old times will say God is an on-time God. Yes, he is. They meant to kill him, but a band, a caravan was coming through. And instead of killing him, they sold him into slavery. And then they took his coat that his father had given it, dripped it in blood, went back to the father and said that, a wild beast had come and killed your son, which really they lied to their father. But to show you throughout this whole situation, to show you how God's hand is always on us if we're his child. That's why he could say that they meant it for evil, but God counted it for good. Sometimes bad things happen to us, sometimes of our own working, and sometimes because of somebody else. But if it's according to what God's his hand is on us, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. God takes bad things and works it out for good things. So, 
He says, he says here, God was about to do. Joseph's situation seemed hopeless, cast into a pit, sold into slavery. God was even in this situation. He says here, and I thought this was a good note, each of us is in a pit. But we are not alone. Jesus has gone into the pit for us, and he has come out victorious. If you watch the life of Joseph, you see some similarities with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was sold into slavery for our sins. He was the favored son of God the Father. So all throughout, if you read, when you read chapters 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, and 42, keep in your minds, watch for the, the similarities of, oh, I see that. That could be a type of who Christ is. He says, but he was not alone. Jesus has gone into the pit for us and has come out victorious. He says here, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? We as Christian believers don't have to fear death and the grave. We've been given victory over it. Now, our fear comes from not knowing. Because none of us, have, nobody has gone and come back and said anything of any account. But we don't have to, as, as I as a believer, don't have to fear death because, why? Christ has already been victorious over death and the grave. How do I know that? He got up out of the grave. So that's why he could say, here, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? And oh, grave, where is your victory? For me, personally, as a believer, those two things cannot hold me any longer. They can't because I'm a believer in Christ. I've been saved. I've been bought by his blood. I've known my way to heaven. And because of that, the grave and even death itself cannot have victory over me. I know many times when I've said this, people say, well, do you have to grieve? You have to mourn. That is true. Death brings about a grieving process, and we ought to grieve. But I will submit to all of us as believers, Paul says we do not grieve as those that have no hope. What does that mean? That means if we lose a loved one or we, we die or, or somebody close to us has died and they are in the Lord, we grieve, we mourn, we cry, but we don't go to the extent that we lose all self-control, we can't control our functions, we're just mentally out of it, we just, we're just gone insane. Because what that would indicate is you don't have faith. Because Paul says, wait a minute, we mourn, but we mourn as those because we have a hope. What's my hope? I have buried many people, and most of them, some have not been saved, and some have been saved, but the majority have been saved. My hope is I can talk about them and, 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 and eulogize them because I know that in the end, when I die, I will see them again. We never say goodbye. We just say farewell because they go from one part of life to another part of life. I will see my father again. I'm as sure as that, of that as I'm looking at you right now this morning. I'll see my pastor again. I'll see Sister Zella again. I'll see Sister Lucille again. I'll see all these people that have gone on before again. Why? They're believers. Amen? That's our hope. That's why we can say, yes, I can cry, I can mourn, but then know one thing for sure. I will see them again. They're saved. I'm saved. We're all, we both of us are saved. We're going to meet in heaven. And what little bit I know in heaven, we will know one another. 
He says, oh, death, where is your sting? Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Slaves of Satan have been set free by Christ. If you're unsaved today, you are a slave to the devil. He owns you. Amen? That's the reality. All who are not in Christ, who don't know Christ, have never professed a saving faith in Christ, are owned by the devil. But God was with Joseph. As as he was with Joseph, so he will be with his brothers. And he'll be with us. Amen? That's in chapter 37. So you go back home and you've got time this week, kind of read through that and go, man, God is faithful. God, 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 is, God is watching over us. And everything that happens in our life happens for a reason and for a purpose. No, nothing happens just by chance or, or luck. I as a believer, you as a believer, God is orchestrating our lives. He brings people into our lives. He takes people out of our lives. People come into our lives for a time, for a reason, and for a season. Nobody is given to us forever. Amen? Amen. And it's one of the, I was listening to a lady talking the other day. She had to bury her children, she, one of her, some of her children, and she said, you know what? It's not meant to be like this. I, as a mother, should not have to bury my child. My child should bury me. That's the, way, that's the ideal, but we have no guarantee. And that's why it's so important to know Christ to know him and, and have a relationship with him and hopefully our fellow family members have a relationship with Christ so that when these times come up, I mean, all, all the turmoil that's going on in our nation this past week with all the various shootings and stuff that's going on, the only thing I can say is it's only going to come about because of God working in the hearts and minds of men, women, boys, and girls. Amen? And I think I watched some of the president's uh, thing on the other night, and to be honest with you, it was nice, it was good. But they really can't solve anything. They really didn't solve anything. It's like, okay, it has some good points, some good ideas. But until a man, woman, boy, girl's heart is changed by the plowshares of the gospel, there's only one thing, there's only one person that can change a man, woman, boy, girl. And that's the power of God through the Holy Spirit changing them, transforming them. So they have a whole new way of thinking, a whole new way of talking, a whole new way of acting. That's the only when real true change comes. In chapter uh, 38, it says, you'll read about, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time there, but chapter 38, you'll find out we read about unbridled lust. We read of sexual restraint. That's where Joseph was in with uh, Potiphar's wife, and he was given charge because he was able to interpret the dreams. He was bought. Look how this works out. His brothers threw him in, into a pit, sold him into slavery, it wasn't by chance that Potiphar bought him and brought him to his household. It was all designed by God. And because of how Joseph handled himself, Potiphar made Joseph the superintendent over everything that he had. Because as Joseph was being the, the manager of the house, Potiphar prospered. And Potiphar said, wait a minute. I would be a fool not to allow you to take care of my business because as I'm watching you, your, your wisdom and the things that you do, everything that you have been able to say and do, I've been made the better. So therefore, I will make you over all of my house except for my wife. And you read the account. Mrs. Potiphar. And I have, a, I have a sneaky suspicion. Can't prove it biblically, 
There's nothing the Bible that says this, but I find it hard to believe that Mr. Potiphar didn't know the wife that he had. This wasn't probably the first time she ever flirted with somebody in the house. But Joseph, the Bible says, was a handsome guy. He was built. He looked good. And because of his position, she said, hmm, I have to have him. And she continued every day, day after day, trying to get him to lie with her. And Joseph, listen, you could talk about some guys and say, well, I know. I'm strong in the Lord. I would never fall. Right. We hope you wouldn't fall. There's many times I listen to people say, I would never. I go, you know what? That I would never is something you shouldn't say. Because depending on the circumstance in life, depending on where you are in life, God could place you or you might place yourself in a circumstance and you thought you wouldn't do it. But you find yourself or I find myself doing the very thing I thought I would not do. Paul said the things that I would do, I don't do the things that I don't want to do. That's what I find myself doing. And you can say, I would never, I don't see how anybody gets so mad that they want to kill somebody. You haven't got there yet, but maybe the right button is pushed and you got there, you might conceivably be able to do it. But after you do it, then it's too late to have regret because you've already done the deed. It says, we find out about, here we read about sexual restraint. How, do, how can I do this? Great wickedness is what Joseph says. And sin against God. It wasn't that he was not thinking about the possibility of doing it, but in his mind, God was bigger than the temptation. How can I sin against God? Verse 9. Sin brings complication, and so does obedience. There is, in fact, only one complication, sin. We live in a sinful world which has no real interest in obedience to God. We must be realistic. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Do the right thing. It will cost you. Joseph is going to do the right thing, and it's going to cost him. He would not lie with Mrs. Potiphar, and what it cost him was being thrown into prison. He did right. But for two years or more, he was in prison. That's why I used to tell my kids, do the right thing. Even if it's painful, even if it might cost you something, do that which is right. God will honor and bless you and I if we do that which is right. We must be with all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. If you're going to live a godly life, you got to do it in Christ. You will be persecuted. When I was coming up, many times people said, you think you're just such a goody tissues. You never did. I said, no, I, I never thought of myself as that. I knew how messed up I was. But the perception was that people thought that they sometimes thought I was too, too good. And part of it was because you're in the church. As a young person, as a teenager growing up in the church, you know, people think you don't face temptations. You don't think about things. They just think all you think about is Jesus. Well, I was, I'm here to tell you that may be true partly, but you're still a human being. I taught a Sunday school class about my Uncle Wayne, and my Uncle Wayne would tell, would, used to tell me many a day, I know why you're down there at that church. Well, I know what you're down there for. I was a teenager then, sister. Secret, I was a you know, teeny bopper. I know why you're down there. You're down there butt hustling. That's what you're doing. <laughs> it ain't about Jesus and the Bible. You're down there looking at them girls. 
Well, he was right. I did look at the girls. I would not be normal if I didn't. But I wasn't doing what the other thing he was saying I was doing. See, sometimes we think, how can you say that? Well, yeah, you're, you're a normal person. You may be attracted to different people. Doesn't mean you're doing wrong. But he had a presumption that because I was down there in the church, and sometimes guys do that. They come to church. They act christian me, But in the end, they ain't no more about Jesus than the man in the moon. They want to get you. And they know if he comes long enough and doesn't, you know, act like a Christian and talks like a Christian and, and comes every now and then, oh, he's saved. I don't believe that. I have many people tell me, well, he, he goes to church. And what does that mean? I ain't sold on him because a guy goes to church and he's a saved person. No way, Jose. The devil comes to church every Sunday, too. Do I think he's a Christian? No. He says, temptation is not sin. God provides the way of escape. Christ is the way. God's way of escape. We go to him when we are tempted. Joseph was put in prison, but the Lord was with him and showed him steadfast love. Persecuted, but not forsaken. So here's Joseph, thrown in a pit, raised to go to Potiphar's house. Because Mrs. Potiphar accused him of rape, thrown back into prison. And the hand of God was on Joseph again. Because in the prison were two guys. Both had dreams. The chef and the cupbearer. They had two different dreams. They didn't know what that meant. Joseph's gift and ability was he was able to interpret dreams. Joseph told the one, oh, you're not going to like what I want to tell you. But the, the picture of the birds pecking at your, at your head is a symbol of you're going to die. You're going to die, and the birds are going to come, and they're going to peck on your skull and all that stuff. You, on the other hand, cupbearer, you're going to be elevated to another position. And by the way, when you get elevated, Remember me. Well, you know how we are. We get to the place of prominence and position. He forgot about Joseph. For two more years, Joseph is in the prison. He's probably later thinking, I told that guy that when he got raised up to remember me. He, nothing has happened for two whole years. We don't have patience for one day, let alone wait for God to deliver us in two years. But he was still faithful, even though he was in prison for two whole years. And one of the things we have to understand is maybe the two years wasn't so much about Joseph as it was about God working in Joseph's life. If he would have got elevated sooner, it might not have worked out the way God wanted it to work. But in the fullness of time, just like in, in Philippians, we're talking about in the fullness of time, God sent his son. When the time was right on earth and it was in God's time frame, guess what? He sent his son. And when the time was right for Joseph, the cupbearer finally said something, and Joseph was raised to prominence. So he literally went from prison to the pinnacle, because where did he go? He interpreted another dream. Pharaoh has a dream. And Pharaoh says there's, there's these sheaves are coming up, there's plenteous and bountifulness and all that. And then on the next time, there's these ugly-looking cows, and they're coming in, and they're, they're, just, they're feasting on the, the fat cows and all this stuff. What does that mean? Joseph says, I can tell you what it means. Because the Egyptians had books of dreams. They would write these dreams down and try to figure out what they meant. Joseph didn't have to have a book. He had God. And God said to Joseph, here's, tell Pharaoh this is what this means. You're going to have seven years of plenty, above and beyond 
I mean, so much that you won't even be able to contain it. And if you read the account in Genesis, what you find out is they had so much that Joseph eventually had to stop keeping track of all the stuff he was taking in. And that's how much he had. Wouldn't it be a great problem to have? Do you have so much that as you're, you're trying to keep track of all this, but there's just so much of it that at the end of time, you just go, you know what? We got, there's no way we can keep count of all this. We've been blessed above and beyond what we can imagine or think. God blessed them because in the fullness of time, seven years of plenty would also take care of them in the seven years of famine. Amen? And isn't God's hand in every step of the way? He was with Joseph when his brothers met to kill him, but they didn't. He was with Joseph when he went from there to Potiphar's house. He was there when he was thrown back into prison. He was with Joseph again when Joseph was raised from the prison to Pharaoh's house. And in the fullness of time, read the account in Genesis 50 on, the same family that thought that Joseph was dead, the father who thought he had lost his beloved son, a symbol, a picture of Christ and the Father being reunited. The family, because of the famine, they reached all the way to Canaan. And they said, we have no food. We have nothing to eat. But I understand that down there in Egypt, they've got plenty. What did they do? They packed up their belongings. They took all that they had, and they went to Egypt, not knowing that that same little brother who they meant to do harm to, would be the same little brother who would now be able to feed them and take care of them. In the vernacular of the world, Joseph could have very easily have said, how do you like me now? He could have said that, but he didn't. And you read through that account, and you find out how he's reunited with his father, and you find out how he's reunited with his brother. It's a beautiful picture. Of, of how God can take our circumstances in life. Sometimes we look at it as being bad and there's no way out. And I don't know how this is going to happen. But if we trust in God and believe that God's hand is on us, guess what? We're able to understand that God, if he has his hand on you, there's nothing that nobody, no man, woman, boy, or girl can stop you and I from having. Amen? I want to close with this. Day one. I could do day two and three, but I thought they, I was just going to do day one. I like this verse. In Jeremiah 29, 11, day one of our VBS, God gives us hope. I know about you, but who else can give you hope? But God. I can't hope in you. You'll disappoint me. You have, you will, and we'll do in the future. That's just a given. I will disappoint you. I have, I will, and we'll do it again. That's just life. Somebody says, well, that's pretty cold, Pastor. We, we disappoint each other all the time. I can't, build my, I can't build my hope on you, and you can't build your hope on me. We got to build our hope on God. Day one of the VBS says, God gives us hope. And here's the verse. For I know the plans I have for you. This is God. God knows the plans he has for you. For you. I, I don't need anything else in that verse but that. God has already made it personal. God said, Byron McGee, I have and I know the plans I have for you. That's all I need to know. That, that's enough to carry me on. But it, it goes on to say, says who? The Lord. 
There are plans for good and not for disaster. What does that mean? That kind of tells me that not that everything's going to be perfect all the time, but God has my best interest at heart. Because he says, there are plans. I have plans for you, and there are plans for you for good and not for disaster. No matter how bad I might think it is, God is not going to make it a disaster in my life. He says, there are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Wow. That's good. You ought to memorize that. That's what we're going to tell our classes when we meet day one. This is a verse you need to carry with you in life. God, whether you're an old person or a young person, teenager, grade school, high school, college, you need to say, this need to be, this could be your life verse right here. For I know the plans I have for you, Sydney, Michael, Tiana, all you collegians. God says, I have plans for you. I know. He knows the plans he has for you. And they are plans, young ladies and men. Plans for what? Good and not for disaster. You might think what you're going through right now is a disaster. God didn't tell you. He didn't say that. He says they are for good, not for disaster. And he said this to give you a future. Amen. We all looking for the future. Don't know what you're going to be when you get out of school. Don't know where you're going to go. Some of us, even as adults, don't know what we're going to do in life. Don't know where we're going to be. Don't know what we're going to do. But God says, I give you a future and a hope. The songwriter caught it right when he said, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. That's a good, that's a good hymn. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for blessing us and keeping us, and thank you for how you watched over us. I thank you, Lord, that in spite of our weakness, you will be our strength. I thank you for how we can look at the life of Joseph and see how your hand was on him every step of the way. And as your hand was on him, I know and I believe your hand is upon each and every one of us. If we are your child, if we know you, you will give us that future, and that hope that comes from knowing you. Bless now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.